0: Hey, it's good to see that there's other people here this morning that don't have time or money to go on vacation. <laughs> Hi, my name is Adam. I, I serve on staff as the pastor of Student Ministries. It's a joy to be able to work uh, along students. Let me just say I'm glad that you're here. If you're tuning in online, thanks so much for, for tuning in. We look forward to being back together in person with you soon. Hey, our, our church exists uh, for one reason. One one reason, uh, since Pastor Steve and the folks over at Maranatha decided they wanted to plant Mission View, it's all been about one thing, and that is making disciples. Uh, specifically, we want to make uh, disciples, people who know God, who grow in their relationship with Him, and then who go on mission or go out for Him. Uh, we call this this kind of no grow, go uh, language. You might have uh, started to hear Matt talk about this. We, we're going to call this our discipleship pathway. Uh, it's sort of the, the path that, that we take as we become disciples of Jesus. Uh, and this morning, I, wanted to, I just wanted to point out uh, just a small group up on the screen. Uh, there's about 12, uh, 12 or so students who are going to be uh, participating in a, a little bit of the go piece. Uh, a week from today, we're going to leave and head down to New Orleans for a, for a mission trip. We're going to be there for about a week. Um, we take two mission trips every summer with the, with the youth ministry, so we're, we're excited to do that. These are uh, high school students um, that have given up uh, uh, since uh, January. They've given up uh, time as they've undergone training, they've uh, given up time in terms of uh, their weekends so that they can go and serve others to raise support so that they can go down to New Orleans and uh, help folks down there. So uh, we're going to partner with a small church called Vukare Baptist Church. It's in uh, downtown uh, New Orleans, kind of uh, on the main strip there. We're working with an organization called Caleo Missions. We're going to do a lot of um, relational outreach on this trip. So uh, they have a, a large, uh, pretty exhaustive ministry to the homeless community there. Uh, we're going to work with folks with uh, developmental disabilities and special needs, so we're going to uh, we're excited to go down there and do that with them. Uh, what I wanted to do this morning, real quick, was just pray for them as a group uh, before they headed out. We, we, we normally would have them kind of up front, but we have some students on vacation. A bunch of students are working uh, back in the children's ministry area back there, so uh, they're continuing to serve, but we still want to... Go ahead and pray for them. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Lord, we are uh, excited at the privilege of being able to uh, um, either go down to New Orleans or, or to support uh, fellow members of our church as they, as they head down there. We want to take seriously the call to make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We, we want to do that even uh, from here. We want to make disciples in North Canton and New Orleans and uh, Guatemala uh, we're excited about our brothers and sisters, uh, in some cases our children, uh, who are going down there. So, uh, God, uh, for the parents in the room, uh, I just pray that uh, you would give them a, a sense of peace and comfort, uh, that you provide uh, safety as we, as we fly and drive and, and travel and spend time down there. Um, God, I, uh, more importantly, they'll want to pray for the success of the gospel. Uh, that people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ, Uh, whether that is uh, uh, just simply us supporting the the staff of that church as they develop relationships with their community or if we have opportunities to share Jesus with others, I just pray for the success of that endeavor. I pray for the strength of Vukare as a church so that uh, after we leave they uh, feel encouraged and and blessed and supported uh, by the church global, uh, by Mission View, uh, I pray that uh, whatever ministries and programs and events that they have going on throughout the year um, can find fruit for you. And Lord, I lastly, I pray for the impact on students, uh, that students uh, would feel encouraged, motivated on fire for you with the Holy Spirit uh, as they return to North Canton, whether that means they come back and are excited about... Uh, Uh, sharing Jesus with their their classmates or their teammates or or their siblings Uh, I pray that you would have an impact both in New Orleans and in North Canton so we're excited about that we pray your your blessing over this trip we pray that in Jesus name amen hey Matt is on vacation this week so grab your uh, stuff from the commons and we're going to go to his house for for commons time he told me that while we were in between sermon series, uh, we, we, we finished up Ruth and we have one coming up called Ask the Pastor. He said, while we're in between sermon series, I could kind of pick what it was I wanted to share about and um, what I wanted us to study this morning. Um, with the student ministry this past year, we did something uh, that was a little, uh, little bit new. In the fall, we created a, a sort of questionnaire that was 20, 20 or so different statements um, and we asked uh, the students to rate these statements on a scale of 1 to 10, how strongly they felt them to be true or not. And so using this, we were able to gauge sort of the, 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 how our students are, are doing spiritually, uh, where some of our strengths are and some of our struggles are as a youth ministry. And then we actually adjust our teaching accordingly to try to accommodate for some of the areas that we find to be weak. Um, and uh, here's some of the examples of the, uh, of the statements. Here's the first one. I feel like I know who God is. On a scale of 1 to 10, how might you answer that? I feel like I know who God is. Our students uh, scored themselves very highly in this regard. I feel like I know what to pray for and how to pray. This one was interesting. Uh, our, our girls... Um, have been doing uh, sort of a little mini study on prayer in their sort of Thursday night small group. So they scored very highly on this. The boys need to work on it a little bit. I feel like I'm in good community with others. The students that were there scored very highly on it. (laughs) I feel like I want to be more like Jesus than the world. That was an interesting question. Uh, you had some students who scored themselves very highly on a lot of the intellectual side of uh, spirituality, knowing God is, and uh, who God is, and knowing facts and information about God, but then might score themselves lowly on this one. Next one, I feel like I believe the whole Bible. It was interesting to see the difference between uh, seniors and sixth graders on this question. And some of the results were particularly interesting. Uh, What was most interesting to me, though, is by a long shot, the statement that students scored themselves the lowest on was this one. I feel like I know what I am supposed to do with my life. And the reason I I wanted to use this as a sort of prompting question for this morning was because I feel like adults would answer the same way and score themselves very low. How would you respond to that? And it's, it's for everyone, too. It's not just uh, for uh, people who would profess to be Christians. It's a major question of mankind, and we, we have a few of those, right? Where did, I, where did I come from? Why am I here? Or, or where am I going? What, what happens when I die? But also that, that middle piece, what am I supposed to do while I'm here? How am I supposed to live my life? Nobody likes no, not knowing what to do, um, you might have had an experience where you tried to jump into a sport or a, a board game and you didn't know the rules and you had that one friend that's like, you'll pick it up, don't worry. And then you're scoring on the wrong team and going backwards around the Monopoly board or whatever. Uh, maybe we, we learn the wrong way. Generally we don't like being the new person at work. There's stuff to figure out. There's a culture that you have to learn. Uh, generally we don't like driving on the roads that are unfamiliar to us. They're less comfortable. For some of us, this, this sort of idea of what am I supposed to do confronts us in a much harsher way with depression and anxiety. We, we wake up in the morning and our, our head comes off the pillow and it's just we let out a big sigh and, and think, what is the point of today? What am I supposed to do? And so what I want to look at and study this morning is is a concept that might seem a little strange. It's not love, but I think it's something that moves us towards love. It's not peace, but I think it moves us towards peace. It's not joy, but I think it moves us towards joy. And I hope to find the answer to what am I supposed to do in the word obedience? Obedience. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Obedience. I know I got to choose what I wanted to talk about, and this is what I chose so I've got, I've got three questions that are going to help us with this topic. What is it? Obedience. What is it? Why do we need it? How do we do it? All right? What is it? Why do we need it? How do we do it? I'm going to pray and then we'll get into God's Word. God, thank you for today. Uh, I pray that uh, as we study, as we read about your Word, we would uh, come with open ears, open, open minds, open hearts to be ready to receive what it is that you have to tell us this morning. I pray that you would help us to become obedient to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6, if you would. We're going to start in verse 15. Uh, While you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of of context about the author. And and many of us will know this, and that's great. After Jesus' public ministry on earth, uh, Christianity began to spread. Uh, People were excited about the prospect of the Messiah, the Savior. People were sharing who Jesus was, what they witnessed him do specifically after he was resurrected. Uh but there were still opponents of Christianity, one of those being uh a man named Saul. He was a sort of Jewish religious figurehead who vehemently opposed the gospel. So much so fact that uh so much so he he rose to prominence and power as being uh, sort of a uh chief uh executor, if you will, of believers. Uh, his job was to hunt down Christians that had spread and dispersed, pull them out of their homes, and then approve of their execution. He sort of sparked a persecution that caused believers to flee into the countryside. This is from Acts chapter 8. Uh, as they dispersed, they were called the diaspora, the dis- dispersed. And eventually, though, Saul has an encounter With Jesus, he's walking on the road and he he meets Jesus and Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And eventually God tells him that he will be his chosen instrument to bring the gospel to Gentiles or to non-Jewish folks. And Saul begins to go by Paul. Instead, he meets with Christian leaders. He studies under them. He undergoes this process of discipleship. He becomes an apostle. He goes and does missions work and goes along town to town and eventually writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, In a sense, Paul kind of goes along this no grow, go path. And so the New Testament then is comprised of all sorts of different epistles or or letters of Paul writing to churches, sometimes to discipline, sometimes to encourage, sometimes for practical things. Uh, Now, Romans is one of the books where he gives a very uh, straightforward um, approach to the gospel. Uh, He's very direct. He says some things like this leading up to our passage this morning. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3. Or he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans chapter 5. And he shares the gospel with them. The word gospel means good news. It's the good news that we are saved by Jesus. Not not that we can do enough or be good enough or, or give enough or serve enough to get our way to heaven, but because God has come to us, we have a relationship with him. So he shares the gospel with them. And then they, uh, he, he does it in the form of sort of rhetorical questions or hypothetical questions. He answers some things that they might be thinking of. Okay, there's this idea of, of grace that we get this unmerited, unearned favor from God. How does, that, how does that work together with sin, though? Or how much should we pay attention to the sort of Old Testament law And these are things that they might wonder. These are things that we would wonder. So if you've ever wondered things like that, you are in good company. And in essence, they're asking some of these how should I live questions. It's not a question of origin or or destination. It's it's right in the middle. It's practical. All right, and that's where we get to our passage. We're in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15. Paul asks, what then? Are we to sin because we're not... Under law anymore, but now under grace? By no means. Do you, know, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, these are natural, prompting questions. The Romans might, might want to know, since Grace is this free gift of God. Is it a big deal if I continue to go on sinning? Is it a big deal if I follow the law laid out in Scripture? And essentially, they're saying, "Hey, isn't a, a bigger doesn't a bigger fall make grace look that much better?" Um, many of us would, uh, uh, some of us know somebody who has a crazy story. Uh, somebody who. Uh, was very very far from God. Uh, there's a there's a, a really neat website called I Am Second, uh, and it uh, is little video testimonies of uh, celebrities and and folks that have uh, been very far from God, and their stories are really cool because many of them uh, lived lives that were uh, as far from God as you could think of. And so they're asking this sort of question. It says, and Paul says, no, uh, but listen, you you know you're a bunch of slaves, right? Do you, do you read that in there? He says, by no means. Oh, by the way, don't you know? Do you not know? Uh, I, first, I want to acknowledge that uh, our country has a terrible blotch on our, our record when it comes to uh, participating in race-based slavery. So what I want to point out here. Uh, is this word slave, the word slave that he uses. The Greek word is dualos. It means a bond servant. Uh, It can mean a variety of things. It can be slavery. It can be indentured servitude. It can be uh, willing serviced uh, to someone else. And he uses the word bond servant, and he says, don't you know that we have two options? We're all bond servants either to sin which leads to death or to obedience leading to death. To righteousness. And what was happening is the Romans are wondering hey, how little can I do? How can I be half involved? How can I profess to be a Christian and still hold on to the life and the sin that I currently enjoy? Emily and I just got a dog. Uh, His name is Cash. He's great. I highly recommend thinking about it before you get a dog. Uh, at first, he didn't know right and wrong. I was, just, I was just sharing this with somebody this morning. He didn't know right and wrong, he didn't know what pleased us or, or displeased us. but now he's about uh, at that age where he sort of knows what we like and what we don't like. and uh, oftentimes that changes his behavior, but sometimes it doesn't. okay? His new thing is uh, he's gotten in the habit of finding something that he knows he's not supposed to have. Uh, and just running so if we're we're sitting around the house and suddenly we see him just run we know he has something that he shouldn't all right there's three things that he likes right now socks rocks and a cardboard box all right this is what he's after Uh, so we might go and spend forever trying to wrestle it out of his mouth and and uh, what we've discovered though is the easiest way to get him to drop whatever it is that he has is to present him with something better A treat or a toy. And this isn't to reward him for bad behavior, but to inform and remind him of the better option for all of us involved. And you can see when when he's got a sock in his mouth and and you're holding something else that he likes, you see his brain working. He knows he wants the treat, but he's going to have to drop the sock. He can't have both in his mouth at the same time. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money. The audience that Jesus was talking to had a lot to do with, uh, uh, had a lot of thoughts about money, um, but you could substitute a lot of things. There. You cannot serve both God and sex. You cannot serve both God and drugs. You cannot serve both God and power. You cannot serve both God and sports. The word that Jesus uses for you cannot serve is the same word for bondservant just as a verb, deluo. You can't chew both the treat and the rock at the same time. All of us, by nature, are servants and and worshipers. And what we need to open our eyes to is what or whom it is that we worship and serve. Maybe it's a a very obvious vice um, where we can sit down and say, I am an alcoholic. That is is my vice. That is the thing that I worship and serve, is alcohol. Or maybe it is a, a sneaky habit. Maybe it's even a good thing. Something that we adore so much that it has taken the place of God in our life. Sometimes uh, in the New Testament, I find verses that I think are just excellent summary statements of what it means to be human. And and, and Paul wrote one earlier in Romans. In Romans chapter 1, he says this about people. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. Your version might say, who worshiped and served created things. If you're in the room this morning and you are trying to get the best that God has to offer and the best that the world has to offer at the same time, you're missing it. You can't hold both the treat and the rock. If you're trying to serve and worship a created thing rather than the creator, you're missing it. Obedience is pursuit of God. In lieu of the world, obedience is a pursuit of God that is in lieu of the world. And now, I'm I'm not saying that God tells us not to enjoy His creation. Okay? I'm not saying that. And we'll get to that in a second. But I think that God wants us to enjoy something better. C.S. Lewis said this. so so pleased and entertained by a, a rock or a sock or a cardboard box that you reject obedience to God. Why do, we, why do we need obedience in the first place? If obedience is a pursuit of God in lieu of the world, why, why do we need it? All right, let's keep reading in our text. But thanks be to God, by the way, whenever you, whenever you come across a but in, uh, in Scripture, something's about to go down. Ready? But, thanks be to God. It is almost always when I do read uh, the term but in the New Testament that they go on to explain what it is that God has done. It's always until God steps in that things are a mess. But, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but... Obedience. If we kind of follow along and trek through this text, I think there are three reasons that we are given just in this passage alone. I think there are more in other parts of Scripture, but just in this passage, I think there's at least three. Here's the first one. We need obedience because we have been set free from sin. Okay? Notice that. Uh, Do you see how it says, you have been set free? Not you have freed yourselves, but you have been set free from sin by an external source, by someone other than yourself. What he's saying already right here, and he's repeating in many different ways, is this, the gospel. That we needed something outside of ourselves to come and save us from ourselves, and that thing outside of us is God. It does not say that we obey in order to get free. That's legalism. We obey because we have been set free. There's a difference. Uh, There's an old revenge movie called The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, And it's about about a man who uh, is a good guy that uh, gets framed by his friend for treason. And he goes away to this horrible prison uh, where they know the prisoners are innocent uh, and use it uh, to sort of shut up some people. Uh, And he spends 14 years, I think it's 14 years, uh, in this prison, and eventually he, he meets an old man, and the two of them escape together, and as he leaves uh, this prison, he's running down the beach, uh, just excited and, and joyous. He has freedom now, and as he's running, the camera pans over, and there's a group of pirates who are lounging on the beach watching him run by, and he goes up to them, and the captain of the pirates says, hey, it's actually really fortunate that you came by, and he, he looks down down the beach, and he says, "I can tell, you know, by your ratty clothes and by the fact that uh, the prison is two miles away that you're an escaped prisoner." Uh, but I have a member of my crew who stole some things from the crew without sharing, and uh, uh, he's got some friends that are loyal to him. But uh, other men want to see him uh, want to see some justice, and uh, he says, "You're a fortunate find. What I'll do is I'll have you two fight to the death." Uh, the, uh, men who want to see some sport will see it. Uh, the men who want an opportunity for him to redeem himself will get it. But, uh, you know, the winner gets to say on the crew. And so, uh, the, the main character, his name is Edmund. He says, what if I refuse? And he says, well, we'll just kill you both and we'll be a little short-handed." So ultimately they decide to fight and Edmund, uh, beats, uh, this guy in this fight. His name is Jacopo. Uh, And instead of killing him, he kind of sticks his knife in the side and convinces the captain to let them both live and have two skilled fighters on their crew. And Jacopo grabs Edmund, and he looks at him, and he says, he just says this, I am your man forever. Grabs him on the back of the neck. I'm your man forever. Has anyone seen that movie? Yeah, a couple people. I am your man forever. Obedience is a response. To being set free. Out of sheer love and gratitude for a God who has saved us, we respond in obedience to Him. And that's why Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. All right, we need obedience because it is a response to having been set free from sin. All right, here's the second one. We need obedience because it leads to sanctification. All right, it's not uh, reactive, it's proactive. If the first one is reactive, this one's proactive. Sanctification means to be made holy, it means to become more like Jesus. Obedience makes us more like Jesus. And on one hand, that seems rather obvious. All right, it's like a, a child who puts on his dad's shoes. Uh, they, they love daddy and therefore want to be like daddy. And I would say that that is a true concept for many believers. that you respond in such gratitude and love and admiration for Jesus that you respond accordingly. But I do think that there is also a, a little bit of an inherent danger here where sometimes we are likely to say, once I love Jesus, then I'll obey. Once I appreciate the command, then I'll follow it. Once I align myself with this belief that God has, that's when I'll adhere to it. Some of us have been in that position, especially when we butt up against hardship or, or persecution or, or ways that it will affect us. That is when we say, well, I don't, I don't know if I appreciate what God says right here. I don't know if I appreciate what God says about sex or sexuality. I don't know if I appreciate quite yet what God says about money. So I'm going to hold on to it until I'm ready, and then I'll follow, and then I'll obey. But what if obedience came first? In this process of sanctification, one benefit of obedience is that it conquers the natural sinful desires of our souls to combat God and resist whatever it is he asks of us. There is absolute freedom in submission to the highest authority, and the highest authority is God. So what I'm saying is that means when you can't keep going in your marriage, that's when obedience kicks in. When you are suffering from a, a deep loss in your family and you're at, at, just at a loss for what it is to do, that's when obedience shines the brightest. When you're confused about why, why is it that God would say X, Y, or Z in Scripture, you can fall back on Him and trust in His authority in obedience. Let me give you an example. Uh, I was just talking to... Uh, uh, a gentleman um, who expressed that he is sleeping with his girlfriend. And he, he says, he's like, I, I know that uh, this isn't what God wants of me right now. And I said to him, I said, you know, there's a lot of ways we can look at this topic you know, we, we could talk about uh, the adverse effects that it will have on that relationship. We could talk about the, uh, the negative effects that it could have on your marriage when you do inevitably get married in the future if you do, whether it's to, to her or to someone else. We could talk about some of these things. But what if instead we just talked about obedience? It's short and sweet and simple and freeing. It's saying, I I don't need to understand all the the facts and all the consequences. I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to be still and know that he is God and I am not. There's joy in obedience. He can even go home at the end of the day and either say to himself, I was obedient to God in this or I wasn't. And there's a lot of... uh, power and joy and freedom in being able to say, I knew what God wanted just now, and I listened. Uh, Tim Keller is a uh, pastor and a preacher from uh, New York. And he talks about the difference between beauty and duty. Let me read something that he said in an interview that I found uh, this week. He says, if I were completely sanctified, if I were already made holy... We would only do what God said in his word, strictly out of our desire to please him. We would never do it out of fear. We would never do it out of coercion. It would be only out of joy. That's how it ought to be. But the fact is that our hearts aren't right. So sometimes we have to do the right thing because we know we should. If you have an anger problem, ultimately, if you're a Christian, you have to say, why do you get so angry? Maybe you get angry because of inferiority feelings how do you deal with those inferiority feelings you're going to have to use the gospel in your heart you have to remind yourself of who you are and in the end the only way to overcome anger is to use the gospel in your heart until that insecurity is gone however if you have an anger problem and you want to pick up a rock and hit somebody in the head and actually your heart isn't right i still think you should not do that just because you might go to jail just because your family is going to be unhappy with you, just because God says no. In the long run, you should always do the right thing out of love for God and joy for God, but in the short run, very often, you should use any means possible to do the right thing, which means tell yourself, I'll probably go to jail if I do that, or God will be mad at me, which he will, by the way, if you do that. Even inside being a Christian, You're beautiful in him, and in him there is no condemnation. He still gets angry at his children, I think, who he loves when they do something wrong. So all that is to say, in the long run, beauty is your motivation, but in the short run, do it because it is your duty to do the right thing. I think what he's saying is this. We need obedience for when our heart's not in it or for when our head is not behind it. Obedience makes us more like Jesus when we're not ready for it yet. All right, that's sanctification. Last one, we need obedience because it bears fruit. It bears fruit. You heard him say, but what fruit were you getting at that time of the things to which you are now ashamed? God saves us and we become more like Jesus over time, but we also have a mission and a purpose and an objective. I know so many people who, who struggle with the concept of what am I supposed to do with my life? Where do I go to college? Who do I marry? How do I, what do I do for a living? What church do I go to? And I ask them the question, what does God want you to do? And they say, I don't know. That's what, that's what I'm trying to figure out. But I always try to remind them that God's word is God's will. And there are many times where God has already told you what it is that he wants you to do. Any student who wakes up and is so worked up about which college, that you know, which college it is they're supposed to go to and which teachers they're supposed to get and, and how their grades are supposed to look but completely neglects the concept of making disciples which God commands to all believers needs to get their priorities aligned. I would say that's true for parents, too. If you are so worked up about the future of your child, consider first the present of your child. Are they doing what it is that God has asked them to do in his word? God's word is God's will, and it is primary. I would say this is true for everyone. Any pastor that is so worked up about loving his church that he's neglected his wife or his children is likewise being disobedient to God. Real obedience to what God commands bears fruit for his kingdom, and it is in fact his kingdom. So that means we can use our gifts to serve our church, we can use our money to serve the poor, we can use our mouth to share the gospel, and, and we can strive to discover calling in our lives, try to figure out who we're supposed to marry and where we're supposed to go to school, but we should be advancing the kingdom of God with purpose that he has given to each and every person here. So we need obedience because we have been set free from sin. We need obedience because it leads to sanctification. And we need obedience because it bears fruit. If you look at these three things, what does that look like? We need obedience because we have been set free from sin. This is what it means to know God. To be set free from sin and become a slave to righteousness, to become uh, like Jesus... That's, that's what it means to know Him. Sanctification, the ongoing process of being more like God, is growing in Him. Bearing fruit is going for Him. It's no grow go. This is our discipleship pathway at Mission View. And ultimately, we need obedience because it makes us into disciples. We need obedience because it makes us disciples of Jesus. All right, how do we do it? Okay, how do we do it? If that's, okay, I'm on board so far. How do we do it? I want to bring us away from uh, Romans for just a minute. Remember how I said Saul was an opponent of God at first. He persecuted the church so much so that that Christian spread. Uh, This is really cool. Look, if you would, uh, this is James chapter 1. This is just his uh, his greeting, his salutation to the uh, to the people he's writing to. He says this: James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion or the diaspora, the dispersed, persecuted Christians, greetings. All right, that's all. That's the only passage I wanted. Was just chapter one, verse one. What's so uh, special about that? The word greeting, here, your, uh, your version might say rejoice. It's me, James, to all you who are being persecuted, who are afraid of being dragged out of your home and beheaded, rejoice. Which sounds crazy that he could open his letter like this until you see that the word servant that he calls himself is dualos, servant. James is a man who knew that being a bond servant could lead to rejoicing even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of hardship. James understood that obedience is powerful. Obedience is powerful. So I've got three ways we can better obey God. Three ways we can be obedient. All right? Here's the first one: Know the commands. Know the commands. James, later in this same letter, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How can you obey God if you don't know what he says? Open your Bible. You're not, you're not going to be able to, to conjure up what you think are what God wants on your own. We are sinful, fallen people, and so that means that we will, in fact, do the opposite. Uh, We are going to start following and obeying and worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. That is part of what it means to be a fallen human being. The less we read of this book, the less we know. The less we read this book, the fewer commands of God we know. Alright? So know the commands. Open up this book. Here's the second one. Trust the command giver. Trust the command giver. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then a few verses later it says, Trust the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, Emily and I with, with our dog, uh, our kind of a learning a language to communicate, and we'll, we'll sit and talk about which words mean which things so that he can understand. Uh, and there are many times where he does something right and we reward him. And it's a little impractical to imagine that we would reward him for every right thing that he does all the time, all right? Uh, God blesses us when we obey him, that is true, but sometimes we don't always see it. Uh, Emily and I don't always readily have uh, a a bone or a treat available for our dog. All right? But when he uh, goes running across the street, you can bet we're going to do what we can to command him to return back to us. Uh, We're communicating a language to him. And so as we read God's word and we attempt to trust the command giver, we might not be immediately blessed in every single moment uh, when we finally adhere to God's strict commands. So for example, in the case of the person that I just referenced, if what they need to do is break up with their girlfriend, that might not feel like an immediate blessing. But in the long run, They need to be trusting God. If you don't trust God and you're still trying to adhere and obey but there's no trust, you're just going to over time get more and more frustrated. Obedience doesn't mean that you expect a reward. It means trusting the command giver even when blessing isn't visible at that particular moment. Obedience is... Immediate and active and aggressive and trusting God trumps our feelings and how we might feel about a particular situation at that time. So we need to know the commands. We need to trust the command giver. And then here's the last one. Help one another. Help one another. You've seen this before, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We can encourage one another to be obedient. In fact, we need one another to be reminded of this, to be obedient. The way that, uh, how that looks um, kind of varies. I would encourage people to have someone in their life who will remind you to obey God in any and every circumstance. Uh, that's a, a true friend. That's what it means to have somebody who is keeping you accountable to God, somebody who cares about sharing truth with you, not just what you want to hear, and, and doesn't, doesn't waver and, and sometimes give you the right thing and sometimes give you the wrong thing. I would encourage you to be part of a community men's ministry, women's ministry, community groups, the youth ministry. Be part of your church community. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you do not have other people sharpening you as iron sharpens iron, what it means is you are likely a blunt instrument for God. Which sounds harsh. I know that people have reasons that they need to stay home and have reasons that they can't participate in all sorts of things. But if there is no one in your life sharpening you as iron sharpens iron, then you are probably a blunt instrument. Dull instrument, ineffective uh, as, uh, for being used for the kingdom. Obedience is much more difficult to keep up without encouragement from others. All right? This is what we're supposed to do with our lives. Obey God. I say this as a, as a reminder to believers, and I say this as a call to unbelievers... Obedience is pursuing Him and not the world. We need obedience to be good disciples, and we can do it by hearing and heeding the commands of our God together. Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, we recognize that obedience isn't, isn't a fun topic. Uh, there are things that we... Uh, don't know to obey, there are things that we don't want to obey, but you are good. I pray that you would help us to trust you. I pray that you would help us to worship and serve you and not created things. I pray that uh, you would help us to be more like you uh, as we obey. So that when our heart's not in it or our head is not behind it, we can still be growing in our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help us to hear and to heed the commands uh, that you give us in your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.